True Detective Season 2, Episode 5, Other Lives, is over. These lives are over. But we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Thank you guys very much for downloading this True Detective podcast and listening to us break down this fifth episode of Season 2. I'm Antonio Mazzaro. I'm joined today by by at least one co-host, uh, the man, the co-host with the most, man from the Mad Men podcast, Jeremiah Panporis. Jeremiah, how are you? What is up, Antonio? How are you doing, my man? I'm all right, Jeremiah. Jeremiah Panhorst, at jpanhorst on Twitter. You can follow him. Jeremiah, I'm wondering, though, we didn't have Josh Wiggler last week. We sent him to upstate California. We sent him to check out the Bohemian Grove. We thought Mm -hmm. he'd become a boho. I'm wondering, have you heard from Josh at all? No, I haven't personally heard from him, but there was a sighting, and they got a picture of him. He's carrying a cross, and he's walking back down this way, so he should be here soon. Jesus. Yeah, that's well. He kind of looked a little bit like Jesus. Yeah, in the he picture, looked Jewish-ish. Yeah, I, I, think I didn't a... even know he had a cross. Did you? Guys, know he guys, guys. Oh. No, Jew- no, you're not allowed to say Jewish-ish. Oh, sorry. I thought about it. I think. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. That's right. my word. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. is that all it yeah, took to bring you back? Is it like a, like a single Beetlejuice? No, it was. It's a yeah. You say Jewish-ish once, and I appear. Beetlejuice-ish. <laughs> Beetlejuice-ish, and, and then I, and then I appear. Yeah, to he eat your ants. Like, to eat your ants and terrorize your home. What about my uncles? I'll eat your uncles' ants. Oh, all right. Well, welcome oh, back, wow. Josh. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Sorry to give you blue balls of the heart for skipping out of town last week. I wouldn't do that again to you. Yeah, we don't like the BBOTH for sure. No, you want to get rid of the baboth. The baboth uh, is can. no good. You want that, yeah. that out of here. What? That- blue balls of the heart. Hey, you said it. I know, but it's from the show. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I'm just saying you repeated it. Unbelievable. Well, what a, hey, what, a, what a great concept. Your heart getting blue balls. That just seems unpleasant. How, let, let me ask you this question. How would yeah. you get rid of that? Uh, yeah, no kidding. Heart massage? <laughs> Time. <laughs> Time cures all wounds. Time heals all wounds, including Baboth. <laughs> Baboth. Yeah. Uh, no, pleasure to be back, guys. Sorry for skipping town last week. Thrilled to be here. Uh, talking about episode five after a little bit of a time jump in the show as well yeah josh did you end up by any chance did you end up in a weird uh bloody cabin in upstate california yeah well i got i gotta say so when i left you guys in episode three i believe it was at this point um i said that i would be investigating the bohemian grove I cannot report back on my findings i've been sworn to secrecy can you rhapsodize on that bohemian grove what I'll say is that place is not not a good place. <laughs> really, it's not great. Not good, huh? It's not great. Not, it's not great, great, Bob. Not good. <laughs> not great, guys. Really not. Really not. Lots of uh, bloody secluded cabins. Antonio and I know a thing or two about that from our time together in upstate New York when we've you know gone off and done all sorts of terrible shenanigans. We don't. We don't. It's very similar. I thought you guys we weren't going to talk about that anymore. I thought uh, so too, Jeremiah. I really did. Yeah. No, well, now that I can't talk about upstate California, I'm free to talk about upstate New York. Oh, okay. Anyway, lots of inside baseball for people who don't know anything about the Leftovers podcast or any of the other random shenanigans we get up to. We podcast about a lot here at postshowrecaps.com. That's true. We We podcast. Currently, we've got Orange is a New Black just finished up. We've got Wayward Pines. We've, We've got the weekly Seinfeld podcast going on. We've done True Detective. If you haven't checked any of that stuff out, go to postshowrecaps.com. You can always send us your feedback, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. You can even subscribe to this show's specific iTunes feed. 
postshowrecaps.com slash true detective itunes that's the one that's the one you could also leave us a review there we always appreciate that so with that out of the way josh jeremiah josh i'd like to know real quick coming into this episode what did you think about last week's episode and that crazy gunfight at the end I I still can't get over the fact that they just murked W. Earl Brown in the face so fast. Uh, just as Teague Dixon was starting to get so interesting, they just blasted him out of uh, out of town. That was that was a real shock, and I was hung up on that for a while. Yeah, we're definitely. I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack even this week about that death. Jeremiah, you and I talked about that last week. What do you think about yes, these did. developments with Teague Dixon? Uh, is there should we be looking back at that death and maybe trying to trace the magic bullet that went into his head? Yeah. Uh, do you think that that sent him to like another dimension and he is going to come back and he's the yellow king? Well, you said mm. magic bullet. So I'm just assuming that you meant that literally. I did. No, uh, I, I mean, he's obviously the ghost of Teague Dixon is continuing to, to play a role here. Right. You know, a lot of the things that he was looking into are getting brought up here on the show. I really liked listening to you guys talking about last week's episode and hearing your ideas about a lot of this was to silence Teague Dixon, that he was the guy who had his fingers on the pulse of what was going on. And the big shootout part of that was just to shut this guy up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he obviously knew a lot more than what we would would originally have thought. I mean, this guy knew a lot that's going on. I guess the big question really is, is that who has been sending him out to do all this stuff and getting these pictures and doing all this dirty work? And that's that's the big question, because obviously, whoever that person is that's giving him some of these orders is probably definitely involved with the murder, wouldn't you think? Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, and I and I think that we'd all probably agree that the the mask wearer spirited away. That mask wearer was not Teague Dixon. That that was not Teague Dixon jumping no. fences, climbing trees, and trying to get away. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. yeah, no. Much love for the late Teague Dixon, and I'm glad that by proxy we elected him the true detective last week. Uh, that being said, he is not the true fence jumper. No. I've seen I've seen no. that guy's body type uh i am i am a close cousin of that body type we're not jumping fences anytime soon no definitely not and i drink i drank i've drank a lot of bourbon like that guy uh, you talk about being the cousin i'm basically his father body type wise <laughs> so that's not that's not happening it's just You're i can assure Dixon's you father I, body type wise all yes. right well then you really are getting close to being the yellow king here he's the it's dixon a, he's the dixon son he's the, it's a it's the a real dixon runaway son. yeah it's yeah. really runaway i and yeah. i'm listen i have a beard to cover up scars not to cover up scars Anyway, yeah, I I think I mean I'm I've been planting flags throughout this season and we talked a ton about Teague Dixon and you know I had theorized that he might have been the birdman that he might have been the one who put Ray down. I don't think that we've had that theory disproved at this point and uh, there'll be a couple times in this episode I think where little stray comments were made both about Dixon and about things that happened in the shooting that I think are, are kind of worth looking at as we try to figure out what the larger story in play was that led to Casper's death and the aftermath. Cause that's what, after this episode, which ultimately was really most, mostly a kind of chess pieces moving episode where we put our detectives somehow back in place to right. solve the crime. They were already solving after this episode. That's what they're going to do. They're going to retrace steps. They're going to look at people like Teague Dixon. They're going to ask themselves what parts of the old crime don't make sense. And I think that's where we're going to find a lot of the drama over the next three episodes. Yeah. What did you guys think about this time jump? I know you guys were batting around last week about how much time was going to take place between episodes four and five, between Down Will Come and Other Lives. It only ended up being about two months. Enough for you? Not enough? What did you guys think about the time jump? 
I think it was fine. I think it's perfect. I think he's, you know, we were able to skip enough, just enough to skip over all the boring stuff about how Ray and everybody gets in the position they're at currently now. We can just kind of dive right back into the case. Uh, I don't, I think too big of a jump probably wouldn't have really worked very well because, you know, how long do you think that people would have gone really believing the story? You know, the Mexicans really were involved in Casper's killing. You know, you would think that this wouldn't be something that would be bothering them for a while. So I think it feels more natural to have it just be a short jump. What do you think, Antonio? Yeah, I, I agree. It does seem a little odd that even in a short jump, all three characters now have different jobs basically now definitely Annie, these are very employable people come the, on <laughs> yes and the economy yeah, is booming so booming and vinci yeah. yeah everyone's getting jobs no matter what but it doesn't surprise me that annie's sort of been busted down but not fired it, it is a little odd the mayor really wanted her badge he wanted all these things maybe he was behind some of the things that act ultimately the heat that came down on her but I don't think that it, maybe the mayor's just not that powerful and he's really kind of a puppet and a drunk and he's not really the guy. I think this episode lends a little bit of credence to that theory that he's more of a kind of a drunk mm-hmm. puppet and he's not really the mastermind. So maybe he wanted her busted down, but all he could really enforce was that she got set to a different job or whatever. Paul Woodrow got a different job um, and obviously Ray quit his job. So he specifically took the offer that we saw Vince Vaughn make him uh, Frank make him in the previous episode. So mm-hmm. some of that isn't as surprising as others of it, but they all three have definitely changed, even though it's been a very short time. And I guess you think Frank has a very specific, no facial hair policy. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, one of the things that's been, you know, it's, it's hallmark. It's characteristic of a show like true detective is that like people could die at any time and sudden tragedy and just everything strikes out of nowhere. You know, look at the Teague Dixon thing, just getting shot in the head, just in broad daylight. He's a character that we've come to know. He's played by an actor that people who love Deadwood and a bunch of other shows know really well, W Earl Brown. And he just gets blapped in the middle of the street. And likewise, it's pretty ballsy of true detective to just kill off Ray Velcoro's mustache in a time jump. We don't even get to we don't even get to yeah. see a scene of him just like shaving that thing off. Yeah, we didn't have no, no chance for a moment of silence or anything. Yeah, we can't sad. mourn, we can't <laughs> grieve. Guys, can we have a moment of silence for Ray Velcoro's let's, mustache right now? Let's do, yes. All right, hang your heads, everybody. Oh god, that felt good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> taps. Mustache taps. <laughs> Wanda? Do you think, do you think yes. he, he put the mustache in a bag and gave it to Chad like I thought? Yes, yes. I really like that. I think I saw oh, it on Bob's I like Burgers. That yeah, that's a, that's a good call. Or maybe it truly was. Hopefully it was truly a Velcro Velcro mustache and he could just put that thing back on before the end of this season. Maybe he I stuck it on so. the front of his car and he's now a Lyft driver. But like, what's the, what's, what is the, you know, the reason behind this? Like, is it just like to show that time has passed, that we're supposed to take this guy a little more seriously now? He's, a, he's more clean shaven. He's left the, the dirty mustache days behind him. Like, what's the, what's the <laughs> symbolism of Ray no longer having a mustache to you, Antonio? I I think that's about it man i think yeah. i think it's just it's very basic easy stuff he, his hair looked a little better he's obviously handsomer without the droopy mustache uh, no offense to the droopy mustache wearers out there but it, at least as far as colin farrell goes he's back to kind of dreamboat status with this and he's still catching the eye of the bartender at the cantina there where he likes to hang out but i do think this is mainly about look he's getting his life together he's got a little self-respect he's not wearing that that what do you call it like a crumb like a crumb catcher a truss buster a crust dash a uh-huh. broom broom whatever you want to call it he's not wearing it anymore what was the last one you it said do, it doesn't matter what the last one was 
Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the last one was. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, he's got a little more self-respect now. So he's he's cleaned up. He's cleaned up and he's, he's he's tucking the shirt in. He's not drinking the hard stuff. Although he said he's just sticking to liquor now. So maybe he's just not doing drugs anymore. But yeah, this is a different guy without that mustache. Well, he is still drinking. You're, you're right. You know that we had we, we everyone's were, drinking. Everyone's drinking. It's true detective. <laughs> but we were dealing for a little while with Velcoro was kind of sober Velcoro. And that was a good speed for him. And he's still mostly mm-hmm. that. But he's he's added drinking back on the menu. Drinking's back on the menu for Velcoro. Yeah, you get the, you just get not the, as heavily. Yeah, you get the sense after this week that the drinking might ramp up again. Yeah, yeah. that I mean, and, and I got to say that that scene uh, with he and the uh, well, I guess you would call her state's attorney, the rep from the state's attorney's office, Catherine Davis. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, that scene where she basically lets him know, like, hey, we and let's reset that. So. We believe from what we've seen in this story that that Ray's wife uh, was raped in years past, probably however many years past Chad is. And then Ray was given this information by Frank about this person who allegedly committed the act. Ray then proceeded to murder that person in vengeance for raping his wife. Ray now finds out from that state that's the state's attorney that Catherine Davis that 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 wasn't the person that they used DNA evidence to link her crime to another person that they had just arrested. And he has to keep it together in that moment where she tells him that because he has killed the wrong guy and his whole life, his whole relationship with his wife has been built around this total lie. And it really, I mean, you see it appear in the custody battle when she says basically like, why did you lie? We don't know exactly what she's talking about. We find out that was the lie. I thought Colin right. Farrell was just spectacular in that scene. No, I he was too. terrific. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, say what you will about the writing on this show, and I'm sure there's much to be said this week and all weeks, but I think that the acting from a lot of these lead guys has been really terrific, and Colin Farrell was on fire this week. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it was a fantastic scene. And obviously, this that is probably of the few things you could take away from this episode. That, of course, was one of the most compelling thing we got from this episode to make us really excited to see what's going to come about of this because that's a huge thing to find out to yeah. this whole time that you killed that you had killed the wrong person and it is like you know oh my god this guy's been using me so this is going to be this is going to be ugly between the two of them and i cannot wait to see what's going to happen because it makes me now wonder who in the world did frank have him killed yeah who's that who did he i kill? mean I think that's the more interesting question. We we can, yeah. we can tackle both questions probably by, by talking about it at the same time. I mean, the the rapist is the redheaded sub, uh, subordinate of Frank at this point. Is that, can, is that true? Because they arrested somebody else for the crime and they said they linked him to the crime with DNA. Yeah, right. But, but this this guy has to be the guy. It, like he, he could have gotten arrested and now he's out on bail or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It it sure seems like they, that's what the show is setting up and tipping off, right? I mean, they they talk they talk about the you know they have this scene where it's revealed that the killer was not the person that uh, that Ray killed, and we cut from that to the casino, and like one of the first things we see is the redhead, and he's and he's checking out chicks at the tables. Yeah, and he's had that line about you know you know how I get with women and all this stuff, and we see him this week. We see that he's a little bit in on the Chizani thing. Uh, this guy, mm-hmm. this is the guy who did it. Maybe he's a red-headed herring. It's possible. He could just be the, he could just be the red-headed herring. <laughs> is, but even, is that the way ginger hair works? Does it does it go straight from father to son? Uh I don't know. I I would have to ask a friend of mine who has the red hair. Jeremiah, do you know anything about uh hair uh, genes? No, I I don't know 100% sure about that. 
You would think so. You know, I mean, look at uh, look at all the Weasleys. They all had red hair. They all had red hair. That's, <laughs> That's incontrovertible really, evidence. Yeah, it's a really good point. Hey, if it's if it's in Harry Potter, it's got to be true. Yeah, it's the Weasley protocol. Red I think Harry that's, Potter. Yeah, I think that's a good a red hairy part. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I look got at my word Look at what's become of us. Uh, I th- I regardless, I think what's what's more interesting to me is what you said, Jeremiah. Is like, so who did he kill? Uh, who who is, who is this guy that Frank had him kill? Uh, you know, obviously someone of some importance, someone who mattered to Frank and, and on some level, somebody that Frank would want to have killed. Uh, who is that guy? Is that going to matter a lot in the grand scheme of the show? And hopefully we're going to find out as soon as next week. Yeah, we had a good kind of question along those lines from Mustard Cannon on our show page at Post Show Recaps. And Mustard Cannon said, do you guys have any guess as to who Frank had Ray kill? I have to believe this whole thing is tied together somehow. So it, mm-hmm. it is possible that Frank had Ray kill somebody that would be tied back into the story. Uh, True Detective season one is a little bit weird like this. There are these kind of interesting plot lines. There's a great a kind of weird plot line with Marty Hart's daughter where you see her sort of posing her figures and sexual ways when she's really young and you see the drawings she's made that seem to be tied into the crime somehow. And there's this big kind of looming question mark over the whole season as to whether the story that's happening at Marty Hart's home front is actually going to be tied into the larger story of the season. And I think that outside of the character elements that are happening with Ray and him, his whole marriage and his whole life with Frank and relationship and all of that, as we see mm-hmm. coming to a head at the very end of this episode, all of that is a lie. Yeah. Outside of the character elements of this crime, there may actually be practical story elements too. Uh, as mustard cannon observes, it may be something that is directly tied into the story and it may not. It may be that somebody Frank had had Ray kill was just somebody that Frank needed dead so Frank could move one further spot up the ladder. Uh, we don't really know, I don't think. Yeah, it, could, it very well could be because, I mean, there's still the, the possibility that Casper's killer, this could be, this whole thing could be about getting getting back at Frank for something, you know, something of his past that somebody's trying to get, get him. Because obviously this effect, this whole killing of Casper affected Frank immensely i mean one he's five million dollars of his money is gone and i mean he's completely cut out of this deal which was going to make him a legit man at least he was hoping so had to go back to his old ways yeah so he's gotten back to his old ways i mean so this is really kind of completely you know destroyed frank's plans and really has messed up his life so you know this this person who had killed Casper, this very well could be something dealing with Ray's past, and maybe it does have some kind of tie-in with what happened with uh, with this deal he made with Ray. Yeah. It could very well come back. It's very possible. Yeah, but Ray is untethered. He is unvelcroed this week. Uh, once he finds out this news that the person that he killed once upon a time is not the right guy. Uh, you know, we see it, it's a real like dog off the chain type of thing. We see him kick the crap mm-hmm. out of uh, Rick Springfield. He goes, oh, we got to talk about that. He goes to town on that guy. <laughs> Alex Wilpon asked us if we think that Pitler is dead. If we think that he went all the way and just murdered this guy. What do you guys think about uh, where we left uh, Pitler off in this episode? I think Piddler's alive. I don't think that Colin Farrell totally killed him. Uh, he's got a, he's, I think he's going to need a, a real makeover. Um, that's for sure. I don't think he went like Glasgow smile on him. I don't think he cut him and then made him wince or anything, but he busted a bunch of teeth out, probably screwed up that plastic surgery and, and definitely took out some rage on the guy. But I, I got to think he's still alive. Yeah. Well, my, uh, okay. So my initial 
reaction was I didn't think he would necessarily kill him. But I do think that this probably this is a good point, though, is that having him alive, you know, could cause some issues. Right. I mean, this is going to bring forward really quickly. Hey, Ray's after you guys or something, because obviously Pillar knows quite a bit what's going on. He spilled his guts to him after, you know, he, you know, he's lost a bunch of teeth. So I, I think there's a good possibility he's still alive, but I could definitely see why having him killed would, would definitely be beneficial if his mouth was shut and they didn't know for sure who, who did that to him. But holy cow, you have to admit that, that, that makes the episode is the scene getting to see Ray beat the shiznits out of Hitler to the point where his teeth were falling. That was fantastic TV. I, I was, I enjoyed every minute of it. What about you guys? Oh, spectacular. It's great. You know, anytime you can send like Colin Farrell to just beat the snot out of somebody's problems, you're going to be pretty good, pretty good TV or movie. I loved how he had his, he put, of course he had his so signature black leather gloves, right? Then he takes off his jacket and then what the hell was that thing? he was using to beat the hell out of him what what was that black thing i could quite make it out almost like a billy stick or something i don't know yeah, what like that black, was. It was like a blackjack i think it was just it was, like a you know like a blackjack <laughs> with that thing out and he's like okay yeah he, he, he went just, he went daredevil on him <laughs> this makes me i'm i tell you what you guys i am really thrilled whenever hillsborough one of these toy makers come out with the action figure for ray I mean, is he gonna? He's gonna have the gloves, right? In this bat thing, probably his brass knuckles. I mean, Hasbro's is, True Detective line, yeah, removable mustache, <laughs> the Ravel Coro action figure. I'm, I'm looking forward to this action figure. If he doesn't come up, if it doesn't come with the gloves and and that whatever that was, he's beaten with. I'm gonna be disappointed. Well, what about I'm you looking, guys? I'm looking forward to the to the Nerf line of True Detective stuff. I'm looking forward to Nerf Detective when you're gonna get Ooh. like the like the foam blackjack, so that I the can like go blackjack. pay Antonio a visit and really put the the fear of something in him, and then he's gonna be like, oh, it's just a toy. You show up, I'll be wearing my bird mask and I'll shoot you with my foam uh, crowd suppression. Right yeah, now. that'll that'll hurt. Yeah, we'll knock you right down. You'll be yeah. murked. Yeah, that'd be bad. that's a word. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure Annie's uh, thing or her foam knives. <laughs> her foam knives will definitely yeah. be, <laughs> will yeah, be one of the accessories, like right? Something. I think Nerf Detective. This is a good idea. Nerf yeah. Detective. Yeah. I, we I, should I, get on that. I, I, if if we had Nerf Detective, so few, so much, so many fewer people would have died uh, last week. So maybe we need to get on oh, that. Yeah, everyone true. would have just been severely agitated. Yeah. <laughs> like, stop shooting me with a Nerf gun. This is cosplay. This is cosplay. <laughs> w. Earl Brown would have gotten shot in the head with a Nerf dart. But like, stop. I'm out. It stings. Stop that. (laughs) Don't do that. What did I tell you about playing with your toys outside? (laughs) Uh, Well, let's let's try to get back on on task for a second here. Let's 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 put the weapons down. Everybody put the toys down. Uh, Let's and let's let's take stock of what Pitler tells Ray. Um, What is he? What are some of the biggest revelations of what Pitler uh, confesses to Valcoro for you, Antonia? Well, we get the 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 uh, the Tony Chisani link very strong, a character that we've only met in one real scene in this series. Somebody we've encountered a lot less than the mayor, but somebody we've sort of indirectly heard about through the mayor. We heard yeah. about him in this episode. He didn't move. He's still around. We heard about the mayor talking to him when Frank was sort of lamenting not having kids. The mayor said something like, uh, stay unfettered. Uh, children are a disappointment whatever he said you know he That's just so gave good. it he just gave it this whole like i'm my my son is really a letdown you don't want to be involved with that we do know that there were a lot of phone calls to that second line 
in the Chizani house. And those are obviously, or they seem to now be connected directly to Tony Chizani. And Tony Chizani is a pimp. He's supplying the high-end ladies and these women to these parties and using those as kind of his means to get to the powerful people. And where that stops, it's hard to say. But that is absolutely what is happening. Uh, Tony Chizani, by the way, just emailed me and said, we shouldn't be talking about him. Wow. I know. This is crazy. He's got eyes and ears everywhere, this guy. Wow. This guy is more powerful than I thought. Now, I unfortunately was only able to watch the episode one time, and I will definitely go back to it again before the next episode. But now, so correct me if I'm wrong. It, It sounds like Tony... And Ben Casper, the two of them were utilizing this information with this video and blackmailing these very powerful people. Now, did I mishear this or is that what you guys heard, too? Because this sounds like a huge motive right here for the murder. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that that's right. We did get we did get a glimpse of Chizani in this episode um, when the prostitutes were kind of being there with Blake and Jen and Pintler was there as well. And so what Chizani and 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 Casper were running behind the backs of these people, maybe behind Osip's back, maybe behind Blake's back, maybe behind the, the back of these more powerful people, that may in fact be what ultimately got everybody into trouble. And I don't know if Tony pulls the plug. I don't know how Tony's still alive, if Casper was being targeted for this and he was involved in it. But I got to tell you, if anybody shook down Pitler then they got the same information because that guy was not holding out anything. <laughs> yeah. No, no, yeah. That guy is like the worst person to put on defense. <laughs> well, I, I mean, to me, obviously, this, this all comes down now from what, I can, from what I can tell is what is on that hard drive. I mean, it really comes down to that because whatever, whatever they were doing, they were videotaping or recording these guys, that, that's obviously got some serious stuff on it that, that these guys did not want to get out, which to me would be the reason why that Mr. Casper uh, had a short demise there. So I think it really comes down to that. Don't you guys agree? We, once we find out what's on that hard drive? Yeah, well, I mean, we're getting to the point where um, you know, we, it's easy to forget that True Detective, it's, it's really short. There's only three episodes left. That kind of right. information could come out next week. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, it, very, very easily. There was actually a really good post by a user named Lamb Chops Legion on Reddit. Wow, I love that name. Nice, Lamb Chops yeah. Legion, yeah. I mean, this is... A I want to join. Little mint jelly, something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, it'll be great. But Lamb Chops Legion, uh, in in response to a post where it basically is, the post is entitled, Blake, which is the redheaded, uh, just sidekick of Vince Vaughn, Chizani's son, Pitler, and Osip, and what's going on with these guys? We know they're connected. What does everybody think? And Lamb Chops Legion said, here's what I think is going on. Osip operates a sex trafficking ring. He's importing the girls, selling them to Tony Chizani. Chizani's pimping them out. These secret sex parties, maybe at the behest of the mayor. They have these parties with members of high society. Casper's running these parties and running in these circles. They're blackmailing these people using information they obtain at these parties, and they use this blackmail to keep the Chizani dynasty strong. At one of these parties, Casper and Chizani get in bed with Catalyst. They're developing their rail. Frank finds out about these things, etc., etc., etc. Meanwhile, Casper's blackmailing Catalyst. He gets a second house and car in their name, which we know happened. Then he gets greedy and starts asking for more. Uh, and somewhere in that, I'll let you guys read the whole post on Reddit. It's very good. And I think it does spell out, Josh, when you say we could find out this sort of thing in the next couple of episodes, 
I think a lot of the evidence is definitely there. Yeah. I think that we're really close to tying all these bows together. And I think that when we were talking earlier about Teague Dixon and the blackmail stuff, I, I don't think we can just ignore the fact that he was doing that. He was taking pictures of Paul Woodrow. He mm-hmm. allegedly is kind of is mentioned in a stray remark here uh, by uh, Burris, who is the lieutenant, who's kind of the, the creepy guy. Burris Who's mentioned obviously a bad guy. He's obviously a bad guy. Almost, <laughs> you don't cast James Brain unless he's going to be a bad guy. No, you mm, might, good you point. might cast him as a guy who just runs an ice truck. No, but, um, <laughs> you know, that's not him. You said that before. It's, it's really not guy. him. No, but they look identical. Oh, I thought that that guy's name was like no. Christian Camargo or something. No, I forget the name of the guy who plays the ice truck killer. Someone's going to correct me, but it's not James Brain. Okay. It must be. I think it's, I think it's Christian Camargo, but he looks more like his brother than Dexter does is the point. Well, yes. spoiler alert, but yeah, eh, whatever. not the same guy <laughs> at any rate, at any rate, he's a bad guy. I think almost so obviously bad that he might not actually be bad, right? No, right. wrong. No, <laughs> that guy's split, a bad guy for votes. sure. Split vote on that. No, I feel like every, everybody in the Vinci side of this thing, everyone's got some shit in their closet. Well, and that's where T. Yeah. Dixon comes in because he's on the Vinci side of this. And is he being asked to do Look, you can either, we know that he's running these kind of, he had come into the pawn shops and asked about the diamonds before that was really common knowledge, right? Right. So right. somebody had fed him information about what to ask for and what to look for, which is right in line with what we had previously speculated about in this podcast, which is that Teague Dixon knew more than he was letting on and had been fed information by somebody who was looking to put a nice bow on this crime and lead them directly to the, the, the people that were ultimately killed uh, and set up and, and made to fall for this crime. And so... Teak Dixon was involved with somebody getting this blackmail material, maybe carrying, carrying their water. Maybe it's just not a hundred percent sure or, or, or clear who, but I definitely think that happened. Yeah. I like the idea yeah. that his story isn't over. Like I like the idea that there's more to do with that character's involvement. I especially like the idea if he is the bird man or something like that. And we find out post-mortem that he was the bird man. I think that that's, I think that's an interesting twist on this thing. Cause it's always, it's always fun when it's not obvious when like the spaghetti man is the lawnmower guy from season one. Like I like the idea that there was more to Teague Dixon's involvement, even if he's not alive anymore. I think that that could be cool. Yeah. And, and yeah, some, that would be nice. Yes. Jeremiah, somebody in this, in this kind of web of criminals is going rogue because the guy from Catalyst right. is asking about the hard drive and he wants, he's willing to offer Vince Vaughn essentially what, what amounts to $7 million or $5 million, millions of dollars for this hard drive. It is a very key thing. Yep. We know that that was probably the hard drive with the camera that was in Casper's sex dungeon where Ray was shot when right. Ray was shot. And we know the Birdman probably took it. So I guess my question, Jeremiah would be, who do you think among the people that are alive uh, including Teague Dixon would have would be holding that hard drive. Which of our characters has this hard drive and is holding it out against Catalyst? Well, I think that's that's the problem, and I think that's a problem that a lot of fans of the, sh- the show have is that there's almost too many possibilities now at this point. We've got so much too many, going too on. Too many crooks. Too many crooks <laughs> in the. Too. too many crooks that uh, it could be so many different people that I really don't know for sure at this point. And I will probably one of those things, which we do find out. It's like, Oh yeah, we should have known that. But at, at this point right now, I'm not, I'm not sure. Why do you, do you have a good idea who you think it would be? It's not going to be anybody obvious, right? Josh, what do you think? 
I think I, I'm all eyes are on James Rain on Lieutenant Burris. I feel like this guy is is super shadester. You really think though? I mean, but wouldn't that be a little too obvious though? Everybody at this point is too obvious. It's going to be one of these people who be like, "Yep, of course." Yeah, I, okay. and I don't. I think like some, every character in the show is so intentionally shady that once they're revealed as the villain, it's not going to blow my mind. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think that's the thing is I think there isn't just one villain, right? Like I do think that, well, that there are multiple people up to multiple criminal things, and it isn't a hundred percent clear who among these people bird uh, men is the bird. Yes, the bird <laughs> men. Too many crooks. Too many crooks. Next season on NBC, the Birdmen. Birdmen. Yeah, it's it's, they terrorize the country by killing people. Listen, equal opportunity could be bird women as well. Yeah, that's true. Bird people. Bird people. <laughs> it's not just talking about this bird man. It's bird people. Well, I think what, I think what you're saying is is that it's not just who that did the killing is important. Is well, it's, it's who who all is involved. Yeah. That's going to be the big reveal. It's not just going to be like, oh, that's that's the guy who pulled the trigger, you know, and, and killed Casper. It's going to be it's going to be who's really actually involved. That's going to be the thing that's going to be. Hopefully, it will be like, whoa, we did not see that coming, kind of thing. And it's not going to be something that's so obvious right now. All these things that we've talked about so far this season have been just to me seems almost way too obvious to be really what's going on here so i think that it's going to be more of these it's going to be something that we're just going to that we're not quite seeing fully at this moment that's going to be like oh my goodness uh that that that's that's something i didn't see coming so at least i hope so so i want to know from you guys do we think austin chisani the mayor do we think that Austin Chisani is is a criminal kingpin kind of who's masterminding all of these things behind the scenes and maybe in fact more than what he lets on or is he just a drunk whose name is more important than anything else and maybe he's making a lot of money off criminal enterprise but he's not the guy. We know he doesn't attend these parties according to Pitler. Yeah, he, he made that clear. He's drunk all the time. So I want to know from you guys is there more to the mayor than than what we what we know from the surface? Or on the surface, is he pretty much what we've seen? A drunk, corrupt, very rich mayor of a city, you know, what we've seen from him. Like, basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, a gangster. Yeah, I feel like the moment we start to underestimate him and, you know, put him in that box is the moment that, like, he stands up at the end of the penultimate episode of this season and his limp goes away and he starts walking straight and he was the bad guy the whole time. Yeah, like, I, like I, could, I, could, I could see that happening. I kind of hope not. I really like taking him at face value. I think that he's a great character. I love Antonio's impression of Mayor Chizani. I really hope that that's just the guy that he is and he is a bit of a figurehead. But it's possible. It's not out of the realm of possibility that he has a little bit more of a deeper thing. But I feel like that even feels like that would be a little too obvious. Like he's he feels like he would be prime suspect number one. Are you hoping for like a Scooby Doo ending where they'll pull off the yeah. mask and go, "Oh, it's Mayor Shazani the yeah. whole time"? And what, what would he say? What would Mayor Shazani say in that situation? I would have gotten away with it too if I had like three more drinks that I could have had during it this was, evening it wasn't for these true detectives <laughs> it wasn't for these true detectives and that random dog that showed up in this last episode yeah. no a lot of people seem to think that maybe what's happening is tony chisani's a real power player right, and that yeah. tony chisani and casper were that. the ones that were on the phone together and yes. that tony chisani and casper were running this blackmail scheme that austin wasn't really in on it but that there was an end around in power between casper and tony uh, uh, over and around austin and that the mayor some 
somehow stepped up and said, kill Ca- kill Casper, take his body out, cut his eyes, shoot his dick off, put him on the side of the road by the PCH so everyone knows. I'm oh tired of this. That's, like, that's very possible. Like, yeah. you know, like, and he just, he Sounds puts like it out. Time. He gets Casper killed. Maybe he has one of Frank's henchmen do it. Maybe he has, uh, and Frank is not, maybe it's Blake. Maybe it's another creepy looking dude like uh, Nails, I think the guy's name is. So maybe it's one of those guys acting at the behest of the of the mayor who do, who you know who commits the act, the initial act of Casper, because Casper's body is dumped in a very public place. That's a message killing. Yes, no, that's not something you're. You know, that's not a stealth killing at all. You don't that's, shoot a guy in the junk and then throw him on the side of the road with his eyes xed out. You yeah, know, to not send a message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, so that's you don't do that. Are you sure? <laughs> well, I don't do that, Jeremiah. Maybe you Jeremiah, do. stick with us. Antonio and I know a thing or two about covert ops. Well, okay, we'll show you, we'll show you the ropes. We'll take you upstate. There okay. are ropes. All right, there. Ro- there's so many ropes involved. I'm talking about like the actual ropes that we use. Too those many ropes. The, too those many. Are the, those, ropes. The ones, those are the ones. Well, we're before. Ever get this question because this to me seems kind of important to me is that so we definitely agree that it seems that Casper and Tony shot this that Tony and them the two of them were working together here and pro- doing some kind of blackmailing going on right so if that's the case then I'm very curious why then do we think that uh, Tony is still alive why not kill Tony as well mm. well and that maybe lends more credence to the fact that it was Austin who ordered the murder on Casper because right. okay. Austin's not going to kill his own son Right, it could be the message he could be sending is to his own son. Yes, like, hey, this could have been you. Next one is for you. Next one's okay. for you. You know, okay. I'll deliver it in your bedroom. Oh, God. <laughs> Pick up that second phone line. Stop it. So anyway, that could have been what happened. I mean, that that is very plausible why, Jeremiah, I think that's an excellent question. And that's why I think a lot of people are thinking maybe Austin, maybe the mayor, uh, is the one who's sort of behind this killing. Maybe he got one of Frank's henchmen to carry it out. And one of Frank's henchmen was the OB, the original Birdman. But um, maybe there isn't just one criminal in play here. And then maybe so maybe that's kind of what was going on. How does that link to the henchman of Frank's who was found killed under similar circumstances as as uh, as Casper? Whatever happened to Stan? Stan didn't do anything to anybody. Yeah, he didn't do anything to anyone. And that's he was a when, nice guy. Well, that's when Frank starts saying, like, who's messing with me? Who's coming after me? Could it just be, could that be the red-headed herring? Could that be uh, a misdirect to make Frank feel like this is personal against him when it really has nothing to do with him at all? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Or or it's possible that, that Chizani, the mayor, used two of Frank's henchmen, and one of them, Stan, was a little bit weaker or asked for more money, or had his hand out, and then the mayor had the other one turn on him and kill him. And that's ultimately, he was a victim for the crime that he'd already committed, or been part of, or been privy to. I mean, that's entirely possible. Yeah, because yeah, to me, it's it's either this thing was about getting at forget getting after Frank, or like you said, it was just be just done to kind of throw him off. It's, it's one or the other. Interesting to me, stuff. Yeah. it seems it seems seems to be that way. Uh, well, we're getting closer to it. We're getting closer to the truth. All right, we spent a lot of time on this. Let's let's talk about some of the other true D's on this week of True D. Uh, who do you guys want to talk about? You want to talk about Annie? Should we talk Annie? Yeah, I want to talk about Trudy Campbell. Trudy Campbell. We're not talking Trudy Campbell. <laughs> Jeremiah knows what I'm talking about. I, I know what. Oh you're yeah, about, I know Trudy Campbell. Uh, let's 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 talk about, let's talk about what about? Can we talk about Paul for a minute? You want to go to Paul before yeah. Annie? Yeah, because I would it. like to. I, I we have. I think we have. I think I have more to say about Annie. Okay, but. let's 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 hear what you got to say about Paul. So what do you, 
uh, oh, you sound so upset. <laughs> well, are you okay? I'm he okay. Does. Are you okay? You, need, you can be okay. You need a few moments. Moments. I'm a little over another. Should we do another moment of silence? No, yeah, no. What are we? What are we silencing? Paul's <laughs> motorcycle? Like I don't. Yeah, the bike. We, he said, "I want the bike back," and they didn't give it to him. No, I think before the end of the season, he's going to get back on that bike. The bike which, by the way, will that. Which, by the way, the bicycle is an accessory to Paul's action figure. Now <laughs> you're back by, to you're Antonio. all over this. You are yeah. all over this. If you only this were a kid for show. like a toy commercial. <laughs> yeah, if only this were. Yes. Hey, listen, hold on a second. Adults have toys too. Oh, that's true. That's right. I think we're about to find that out next week. <laughs> Your parents put it together. <laughs> yeah. No, I. So anyway, yes, the thing. Paul. Paul has this. Uh, so Paul's just. I mean, there's a lot of sadness in Paul. I hope it's not entirely rooted, and I kind of ranted a little bit about this last week. I hope it's not entirely rooted in in his repressed sexuality. I get the sense that he's seen some shit, right? He, he points at his scars, literally this this past week, and indicates that those were probably from black the the Black Mountain kind of stuff that he was into, right? And not necessarily from some horrible traumatic event that his mother put him through. But you also get the sense that his mother maybe knew or suspected all along. That he is gay uh, and has oh, not been not happy a, about yeah, that. That's not a you get the sense. She comes out and says it. Basically. Yeah. And I don't know where the all along. That's kind of my sense is I don't know, you know, where she first formulated that idea and how that may have affected his upbringing. I don't know if she started in on trying to make him not that way when he was 13, 14, 15. I don't know exactly where to draw that line. So I don't know how deep his pain with that particular issue goes back. But there is certainly some pain associated with that particular issue. Do you guys think that his father, who is supposedly unknown, do you think that his father was anyone of merit, anyone important? Oh, well, that would that would seem to be really convenient. Yeah, but at least it would help kind of tie things up with his story. She was a dancer. She was maybe I mean, there's a possibility that it, that she could have been connected to some of this this older part of the story. She's about the right age. Uh, she would be like a good example of there. There's a lot of different examples, right, of the women who were part of this. There's Mayor Chizani's wife. There's Annie's sister. Uh, if we were to see Paul's mother as another person who might have been part of this, and see where she ends up in a trailer with no income, living basically off of money, whatever money she can find. Um, then maybe maybe that maybe her character has a little bit more merit on that level. I don't know. I just I'm wondering is this too much? Is this classic true detective speculation, uh, or do you guys think that there's any smoke to that fire or any fire to that smoke within well, what we've seen? Well, let's sniff it out. Who would it be? Who are who are candidates of people that we know about on this show that could even possibly be uh, Paul's father? There's really only one that comes to mind for me, and that would be uh, Annie's father. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Well, I was going to say, I think it, if, if it's anybody, it's got to be somebody from that, from that photograph of the gentleman that we all know were in, in together. The Chisani Lodge. Yeah. From, yeah, from you know, Pit, Pit, who's on that photograph? It's Pitler. It's um, the mayor, right? Uh, yeah. Annie's father. Yeah. Who else? Who am I missing here? George W. Bush. Is he in that one? <laughs> we don't <laughs> no, know. There's like a guy one. in a fisherman's hat in the back. Uh-huh. Yeah, but anyway, I, think the I would think it'd be somebody. I would think it'd be somebody from that group. Yeah, right? maybe. I mean, Pitler is was going to be who I said. Uh, okay. Not that it would make any kind of weird character sense for Paul, but 
just because I think that that's a character. But I, I like the Annie's father version of that better. I do too. Uh, but I don't know. Um, I well, don't if, know. if that's if, but if this is the direction that the show goes in, that Taylor Kitsch's father is somebody who is somehow connected to the story, the greater story of this season that is interwoven in the fabric of all of this nonsense that we're investigating. Then are we just buying that there's like a cosmic element to season two? There's just like a cosmic karma element of season two of True Detective. That's just a given because otherwise isn't that just way too convenient it, it of course it is and there was a cosmic a little bit of a cosmic element to season one it was yeah. a kind of a different cosmic element uh, there was a lot of talk of the cosmos literally and and of rust coal literally staring into the void and seeing things and so there was a lot of that and there was a lot of there were a lot of kind of interesting connections that were in play and so it's possible although unlikely I think that it's a better show if it's the sort of thing that you can speculate about, but that it doesn't really make very clear the Marty Hart's daughter kind of thing. I think it's a better show if that's, if that's what it is, than uh, if this is truly his, his famous, uh, you know, some, some character in the show is his father. There's a photo floating around the internet. I've seen it a lot on Twitter. I'm sure it's on Reddit of his mother, a screenshot in her trailer uh, in this episode. There's a very famous scene in series one uh, where you can actually see uh, like this sort of uh, sign when you first meet the guy mowing the grass and the, the words are kind of blocked out with the blocking of the shot in a certain way that it says notice King. Uh, and there's a, there's a shot in this episode with her standing in her trailer and there's a VIP tag right above her head. Almost like, you know, she's somebody that you would, uh, you would work in a VIP room or something like that. So whether on accident or on purpose, that's there. Uh, and it, whether it's the sort of thing like Notice King that actually was there and, and it was there all along and it'll tip you off and you'll find it later and be amazed. Or whether it's just there as a red herring on that. That's the sort of thing True Detective does. So people are talking about it. And I thought it would be important to kind of get you guys take on it. Though I agree with you, Josh, it's just a little too convenient. Well, yeah, I think I think that's especially true if it's someone specific that we already know or have heard about. But, you know, when you when you bring that up, if, if his mother is somehow involved in, you know, the, the greater sex ring that seems to be happening here uh, in, in the in the Pacific Coast here on True Detective uh, and there's just some some random man who is involved in that and it doesn't have to be a named identified party it just has to be somebody who's involved in the party that I could stomach that that would that I would be fine with and that would draw Paul in closer to everything that's going on in the case yeah well especially if we find out whoever it is winds up being being the birdman killer <laughs> yeah I mean yeah, well I'm, be, yeah you know that so would right in that would be yeah. a perfect little bow and that would uh, be a little too convenient I think you know I do agree it would be w- a way too convenient but you know the thing is the whole the whole substance of his his story like it's not it really it, the whole thing hasn't really done much for me it, no, nothing's working right well for me with this story so i kind of need something though here with to help me kind of with paul i mean am i the only one that's feeling that way with paul's backstory yeah, here no totally but i think that they fixed it this week because his stepmom so? his, his mother-in-law is going to be moving in and i think that that's really the spice thing <laughs> yeah that's true yeah, I think um, they're having Emily, a baby. Emily's mom yeah. is moving in, and I think that this is going to be a really big deal for Paul's storyline. And I think that's going to be where all the juice comes in for the rest of the season. You think they'll age that kid up for True Detective season three? Oh man, let's hope. 
Maybe then, then maybe they can Bobby Draper him from True Detective season four. That could, yeah. We'll just keep on going down the line with uh, with Paul Woodrow. He'll be the one connection between all the seasons of True Detective. So how's he connected to season one? Oh well, I mean, he was one of those stars. He was. He's Rust Cole's son. Oh no way! Oh, no. Did his mom ever do a jag in like Alaska or somewhere? Yeah, that would be crazy. No, I don't know. I I I just I think that it's interesting. Um, we. Angie had a really good comment on our side of post show recaps, uh, which I encourage you guys to read. But the basic gist of her, her comment is that we've, we've really seen kind of these rapid fire pushes on character development, uh, people that are getting ready to do something. Oh wait, no, something is horrible again. A lot of one eighties and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we first meet Taylor Kitsch. He's repressed and trying to be straight. Then he has a night with his black mountain buddy. Then he jumps back into the closet, dragging a really nice woman and their unborn fetus with him. That's what Angie says. And she thinks that we're going to uh, the opening sequence next week is going to involve Taylor Kitsch waking up in his buddy's apartment again. Oh, really? Yeah. And then this so that the whole kind of theme of this season is like people are trying to escape from who they really are and they're going to get they're going to you know, they're going to get out of it for a little while and they're going to get pulled right back into it. And we saw it with we're seeing it with Frank. That's kind of been his story throughout this season. We've seen it with Taylor Kitsch. Uh, I don't know exactly what's going on in that regard with Rachel McAdams, but I do think there's something to be said for people being honest about who they are. Uh, Frank at his core, he wanted to be these really rich people. He wanted to be one of those crazy California families. Can't remember where the money comes from. Like maybe like the Chisani family, but at his core, he really is that kid from Chicago who doesn't want to be called gangster, but is basically in, in name, you know, in name and every other way, a gangster. So, I think that it's going to be hard for him to kind of shake that off. He he is who he is at his core. And I think the same is true of, of Paul. Uh, Paul's story obviously presents in a much different way. But I think that Paul shouldn't be trying to run from who he is. And the minute he's probably more uh, comfortable with coming to grips with that, uh, probably the happier he will be. And we saw some of that with Vince Vaughn or with Frank in this episode. He's got a smaller house now. He's learning to find happiness. There's no water stains in the ceiling. Maybe he's going to adopt now. Uh, but he's also being kind of half a gangster, and I don't think that's going to pay off for him. Yeah, no half measures. You can't go half gangster. Yeah, you can't go half cancer, no. Isn't that actually. from your show, you guys? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's from Breaking Bad. You know, that's Nucky correct. Thompson's always half a gangster. So, yeah, and True Detective. Yeah. So we're, well, we're all there. Angie, I do like Angie's comment here, and it's really good. Thank you, Angie. And I, I think that I've always been one to be okay and sell with this theory about, you know, that people try so hard to change. You know, they want to they be something different, but they're, but deep down it's really hard to change, and that people really don't. And personally, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I've – well, there's lots of t- TV shows that highlight this exact – behavior and i think it to me it seems kind of natural because i think each one of us knows that there's certain things that all of us have in us that we'd like to do better with and change but you know a lot of times we quickly slip back into our old ways so i'm okay with that no and i think that that i mean we've talked about that on this podcast a couple episodes we talked about that Mm -hmm. idea of like true making progress but progress you won't it only sometimes it only sticks for a little while and it's really easy to regress uh and i think that that's been a theme on the show so far and i think it's a theme that's going to continue with all these characters um i but i i feel you jeremiah i hear what you're saying when you say the the paul story isn't really doing it for you 
yet. I feel like that there's right. there's there's still time for it. I think that it's it's been interesting to me, Antonio. To your concern, I don't think that the angst is all about repressed sexuality. I think that's obviously a huge piece of the puzzle. I think that this is a dude who got really messed up overseas, and not just from the scars. Yeah on his body and i think that he is burying a lot from there and i think when we finally do get to find out more about what happened at black mountain uh i think that that's going to be hopefully that's going to be a a great moment i don't know how we'll get that if he goes back to his black mountain buddy and they talk about his broke black mountain buddy if they're gonna if they're gonna if they're (laughs) i was waiting for you to go there (laughs) if they're if they're gonna if they're gonna have you know a conversation where that's going to be illuminating for us but i think that Mm -hmm. that's obviously really digging in on him um i think that that's a big piece of it and obviously his his childhood is a, a really raw nerve and i don't think that that's entirely wrapped up in his sexual identity as well so i think that for me i actually feel like they've done done a decent job with making him uh, a more fully fleshed out dimensional character than maybe he seemed in the first couple of episodes. I think that there's more to the picture here. Yeah, that's all I'm hoping for, because I agree that that they have done a good job of kind of fleshing that out. But I think that I I just hope we get the kind of final third of this story with him, because I'm not going to I'm not going to be happy if we end basically where we are in terms of information about his life i think we've gotten obviously and i don't think we will yeah and i don't think we will either but you never know so that's kind of what i'm tracking with paul anything else about paul with you guys with this episode no he's just such a handsome man (laughs) he really is pretty he's such a good looking dude it's really unfair to everyone else i know it is it's not fair all right should we talk annie do we want to talk annie yeah let's talk annie uh should we have therapy group therapy I think about might, Annie I think, need, I think we might need a group therapy session but I'm, I'm worried about what we would say I'm how did you guys feel about the about the sexual harassment class that she was in and that whole like I just love I love big D's and then the guy was like ah well come talk to me and the other guy's like no keep talking about the big D's like <laughs> yeah. what did you what did you think of this scene Jeremiah do you have anything to say I uh, did it, it just kind of to show that she she's not she's not in it you know obviously she's not taking it seriously right that uh you know she just she's just there because she has to be and that's fine it was there you know they're trying so hard one of the things that i felt that's really lacked this season i think we've already talked about this many times on the podcast is the lack that there's no humor much at all we don't have uh we don't have the woody harrelson character to really give us something to laugh at once in a while so i don't know if they're attempting to try to have a like a funny moment there i don't know for sure what they were hoping for but it didn't accomplish too much other than letting us know that annie is not very happy with her situation whatsoever yeah tough situation for annie yeah my no, friend it's not good my friend arthur uh a co-worker he remarked that he thought it seemed like a deleted scene from something like brooklyn 99 like uh-huh. it was almost like a sitcom <laughs> level scene that uh-huh. you know what is this scene doing in this show and i think jeremiah you're right like i do think it was mainly about about comic relief more than anything and i think that's hard because the tone of the show has been so sort of just like just droning on like those constant overhead shots of the city just droning on and i think that's been basically the tone of this season when it hasn't been even darker than that uh and so i think it's hard with the levity i think this this season i agree jeremiah is struggling with the levity we don't have marty hart reacting to things uh which is funny in and of itself so Mm -hmm. i do think that some of that was in there for levity uh and i think that these guys were so we were supposed to laugh at these guys uh no talk more about it and you know girth it's supposed to be funny when you talk about with or whatever like oh this is all really really funny but i i i didn't didn't get a laugh out of me i thought it was kind of bad 
bad. Uh, and I just feel bad for Rachel McAdams uh, and Annie uh, specifically because I feel like scenes like that are just like, okay, so this is just here for comic relief. Really? Like, is that all we're doing with this? Okay, right. let's move on. Yeah. Well, let's move on. I don't think there's much more to say about that stuff. But Annie's been busted down. She's working in what? She's in the uh, investigation room, the like the evidence room, the evidence locker. Evidence. Yeah. That yeah. sucks. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a bummer. Yep. Um, they but, put her in the basement, <laughs> but she's but she's back on the case real quick with some vacay time. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't know. I actually, this is a really good question uh, that that I just don't know the real answer to. Um, and this was from Alex Wilpon. Alex said, "The state attorney Catherine Davis said I need people who aren't going to ping on our radar." When Ray asked her why she was choosing the three of them, why does she think three people, two if she can keep Annie confidential, who were directly involved in the Casper murder investigation and the Vinci massacre, wouldn't ping on anyone's radar? And my question for you guys, kind of as a follow up to that, is: Let's assume that somebody was after Annie. Uh, and Annie gets right back on this case. I mean, even if she's not super high profile, isn't somebody going to notice that? Yeah, and that's especially scary given what Annie is about to be marching off into, right? Right. Yeah. You know, she, through her sister, is getting an invitation into one of these parties. Uh, this could be a very bad situation. We'll talk about the preview for just a second if you guys uh, are up for that. Uh, so, sure. spoiler alert if you guys don't watch the previews, but. We're seeing her in, uh, you know, on her way into one of these parties in the preview for next week. And it doesn't look to me like she's wearing anything that is going to, you know, be conducive to her knife vest that she likes to, mm. to wear. So this is not a good situation that she's potentially getting herself into. No, absolutely not. No, but, but, you know, I go ahead, Jeremiah. No, I just gonna say it's, it's, uh, it's going to be great television. I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, that's way better than I was going to say. What were you going to say? It doesn't what matter. What were you going to say? Oh, my God. There's always, uh, there, there, I mean, and I, don't, I really don't mean this in a dirty way. She will find a way to. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She will find a way to, to make sure she's protected. Um, uh, I believe a wise man once said, um, uh, uh, knife finds a way. Yes, knife yes. finds a way. She, yes. she will find a way to unsheath that knife soon. That's that for was, sure. That was Jeff Goldknife, I think. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Goldknife. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she's she's back on the trail and also back um, in, in circulation this week is the woman who went missing that we haven't really seen or heard much from at all since the very first episode of the show. Uh, Vera, the woman who went missing that she was looking into a little bit here and there. She seems like she's tying back into this thing in a meaningful way. Uh, I wasn't completely following what was going on with that. Does anyone have a better read than I do on how Vera is back in the mix? She's connected to Casper. Yeah. So, so what happened was as part of what was being traced down, um, Elvis, who, who is, uh, who is Annie's partner, uh, and who we find out in this episode probably didn't sell her out the way it maybe had seemed like he did, uh, in the previous episode. um, we we find out and we found this out a few episodes ago when he was chasing down leads on that missing persons case he had found a phone call uh that she had placed vera had placed from some address in upstate california near uh where annie was familiar with and and that is ultimately the address where they end up 
Uh, they end up right back at that's where the cabin is. That's what we see when we see this, these pictures that were taken surreptitiously that she probably took. They were taken of Casper and others at a party. And we look at the chandelier in those pictures and it appears to be the same chandelier that is in that sort of boarded up crow house for lack of a better kind of thing. Uh, that, that cabin that Annie, uh, and Paul visit in upstate California. We see that same chandelier in there. It's boarded up, but but it doesn't. There's not dust everywhere, and it's not completely overrun. And then they go out behind it, of course, and they find she sees the Annie sees the carrion birds, which kind of follow dead things, right? And she sees the, the 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 chair in the middle of this cabin with blood everywhere, arterial spray. Annie says, so some very violent act has gone down in that kind of secluded part behind the main house. And that house is directly tied to Vera uh, through that phone call that she placed that Elvis was able to backtrace to that built to that area. Yeah. Ugh. So I'll tell you what, that place was and not just the, the creepy cabin where with the blood all over the place, but the whole thing was just eerie and creepy. I mean, it's there's obviously some some really weird stuff going on there. And I'm sure we're going to get more into that once we get to one of these parties and find out what's really going on. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, do you, I mean, we, we kind of talked a little bit about the previews already, but you guys feel like we're on good footing with Annie and her sister. You think everything's on the level there and her sister's really being upfront and honest and their relationship is in a good spot now? Well, I don't know if their relationship's ever going to be like in a great spot because I think there's just such a chip on the shoulder for Annie toward her sister there, but like in her sister's defense, her sister seems good. Yeah. Like her sister seems yeah. legit. Leave me alone. I don't want to go back into this whole porn lifestyle. Yeah, she's like, I was serious when I said I was just doing the <laughs> porn thing for a little while. But you had to be on your freaking high horse and get all high and mighty on me. Well, I'm doing fine. And look at you trying to draw me back into this thing. Yeah, find me some driftwood for crying out loud. Yeah, come on. No, I think that they're I think that they're okay. My fear is that, you know, nobody can have nice things on this show. And Athena, who seems to be doing really well, I feel like is uh, this. This could be very bad for her is my fear. Now, is she seems such a good person that she could be involved in this somehow. Is she a bird woman? Is she the bird woman? Bird person. Bird I mean, I, you know, I just throw that out there, but that's the thing. I mean, even someone like that, you could look as, well, maybe she's a subbing. She she knows about these parties, you know? I mean, what the heck? Yeah, it is. It. It could go. It, these these theories could go on forever. You know, they really could. Yeah, I don't get. I don't get the sense that she's a bird person. Well, that's the only reason no. I brought it up is is because I'm. I mean, I'm just looking at everything at face value and then trying to determine if we're meant to believe there might be something else under the surface. And I certainly don't think the show is hinting in any way that Athena is somehow. Uh, into something deeper or more negative than she's letting on. She has yeah. had some brief, but but it, she's our the the whole point of her in the story. I think is for her to be a gateway into this world. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and that that's the gateway that Annie is about to broach uh, or about to breach, I should say, uh, as she kind of oh, steps across, uh, and that's what we're going to see. But the whole point of Athena is really to serve as that sort of goddess who guides her into it. So. 
I think that that's all we're getting with her. But I, I don't. I don't know. I just wanted to see if you guys were tracking that any differently because I sure hope that she's on the level and everything's good with her. I want things to end up nicely for her. Yeah, who doesn't want things to end up nicely for her? She seems cool. Maybe, she seems legit. Maybe Nick Pizzolatto doesn't want him to end up nicely. <laughs> well, that might be the guy. He might be the Birdman in this case. Well, he definitely is. But yeah. but yeah. So I don't know. I, I I'm just I'm hoping everything works out uh, with with Athena. I, we heard that Annie had two siblings who ended up dead. Uh, so I don't know what the full story is there, but it wouldn't shock me uh, if things didn't end up well for Athena. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, definitely something bad could happen to her. But I do feel, all jokes aside, I do feel like that her that moment between them seems very genuine. And I think you're right. I think this is just a great, a nice plot point to get Annie into one of these parties. And I think that's really all I think is going on there. But you know, it's something to think about. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, what about, yeah, speaking of things to think about, um, we talked mm-hmm. a little bit about this, about Ray and about Ray's sort of kind of un, un, becoming unwound here as he finds out that he probably killed the wrong guy all those years ago, that that the rapist of his wife is either still out there or was arrested or someone's being set up for that. We don't really know, uh, but that that's all happening and that he's now working for a guy who's literally lied to him and compromised everything that he thought to be true. Yeah. Frank better be ready to give this guy a raise. Yeah. Well, speaking <laughs> of that, I mean, is he just, I mean, is that like, is that what, he, what do you think? Where, where that's why, up, that's why he stormed over to his, that's his what I'm place. saying. Yeah. When we pick up next episode, I want to raise, I want a promotion. Yeah. I want I'm, my 401k. I want you to call me Mr. Manager now. Yeah, I'm Mr. <laughs> Manager. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I, I, he clearly could have just killed Frank right there in cold blood. That didn't happen. So are, are we? what kind of revelation do you think we're going to get at the beginning of this next episode with Ray and Frank, if any? Yeah, well, that's the other thing, you know, going back to the preview for a second. And again, earmuffs if you're not into the preview thing. But there's not a lot of Ray and Frank shown in the preview, which could mean a lot or it could mean absolutely nothing. Uh, you see a lot with Annie and Paul and those characters. But with with uh, with Ray specifically, I think you do see a little bit more with Frank. But with Ray specifically, I don't think you see him outside of the scene of him sitting at the table with Frank, um, yeah. which is ominous. To me, you know, I, I look at something like that and I think like, well, what happens to Ray? I mean, Ray has already had a real serious brush with death. I don't think that he's going to die next week or anything. I don't think that uh, he's necessarily going to escape the Reaper forever. But I do think that he could be in some big trouble with Frank. If Frank has a big, dirty secret to protect, uh, you know, this could be bad news for Ray or it could be really bad news for Frank. But Frank's story does not feel like it's anywhere near complete. Uh, neither does Ray's. So I don't think these guys are going to take anything out on each other that is going to have a permanent lasting impact uh but it ain't gonna be pretty it's gonna be very unpleasant whatever does happen next week yeah it's gonna be some showdown i'm a little i'm a little worried about that um only because it, there's the door is open for frank and ray to have this huge expositiony uh kind of conversation at the beginning of next episode and where that ends we don't know i think that the, the, the trailer the preview is keeping it purposefully vague and good on them for that but I don't. I mean, I don't want this kind of exposition vomit to happen uh, in in this court, this sort of 
conversation like this. I, I don't know that there's anything more to the story than I saw an opportunity. If you're Frank, I saw an opportunity. I put this opportunity in front of you because I needed a guy on the inside and I wanted a cop that I could get my, get my screws into. And I thought this was an easy way to do it. The guy you killed, he was a really bad guy. He was a guy who screwed over a lot of people. Maybe he's a murderer or whatever. So you shouldn't feel bad about that. I'm sorry that I didn't have any info on the exact guy. Uh, but you know, I, I, you know, that's why I did that is so I could ultimately get you. And I'm not sure if that's going to be enough to satisfy her. That wouldn't fly with me. Yeah, I don't think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think so. So I really don't know where that conversation is going. I think the, the reason I bring it up is I think the show means for us to assume there's three episodes left. Ray could literally shoot Frank in cold blood right here in his new house with his wife in the next room, not believing that the wife is home. Maybe the wife comes out with a gun of her own because Ray's not sure. Like, I think we're supposed to believe that there could be some serious violence drama about to happen. And I just, I'm not tracking that. Are you guys tracking that? Not, not especially. Yeah. I just don't see it happening. No, I, I, to me, I think that Frank's just going to lie, lie, lie to him and try to see if he can get out of it. But who knows? I don't know. Maybe they'll surprise us and it'll be something much more. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of um, Frank and Jordan deciding to go the adoption route? That seems to be where they're leaning right now. Good idea, bad idea, great idea, worst idea. It is the loving option. It is the loving option. That's true. I, I don't is. know. I I think it's good in in theory. Like I think it's I think it's great for them as a couple. I think her saying like I didn't just have one procedure; I had several. I went to the doctor on my own. I can't have kids. Right. Let's adopt. And if you'll remember. Frank's previous reason for not wanting to adopt is I don't want to take on somebody else's sins. Yeah, I, I want to, you know, I don't want to take on the negativity. Such a Frank thing to say. I know, right? <laughs> he did, he, without throwing like some kind of SAT or GRE level yeah. word in there. Uh, yeah, it's something that's a very Frank thing to say. Um, maybe, maybe he could have said venial sins and then we would have bought in a little bit more. One of the things that I have been loving about the True Detective Reddit and like the online community surrounding it is just people like talking in Frank talk. <laughs> like just like writing posts and using words that only Frank Semyon would use. Look out for it. Go mm-hmm. go be free. Go into the wild and look that stuff up for yourself. You're going to be very happy. Yeah, I um, mean and, and you won't you won't have blue balls of the heart. Let's put it that way. No, you won't. No, no, absolutely not. But yeah, I mean I I like that in theory. I like that there seems to be development for the character as I hinted at earlier. I think the big problem is that he's sort of playing gangster. Like he's really doing things according to, uh, according to Kelly Riley, according to his wife that he hadn't been doing before that. He's a full blown pimp at this point that he's running whores out of the back of the club. Uh, and that all these things are happening now that weren't really happening before. And if so, and if he's really trying to hit fast forward on this and make a whole bunch of money at once and do a kind of, do a lot of rash things to get it, this this episode, we see him basically blow off what I believe to be representatives of a Mexican drug cartel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That can't be good, right? No. Uh-uh. So I, I, when he talks about wanting to adopt and take on somebody else's sins and not wanting to do that and all of that, I just worry that's a little too much character development for Frank, a little too much growth uh, in the span of a couple of episodes. He's growing too fast, and with growing too fast come growing pains. And I think we see him growing too fast professionally as well. And I think that too fast professional growth is really going to be what ultimately does Frank in. And I when think, you say does him in. Yeah, I think he's going to die. Wow. 
And then yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards Frank dying too. I don't see how he's going to get out of this this uh, series. Am I going to draw first blood? I think you're going to win, my friend. Ooh. Did I, have I Colin, do. did I have Colin Farrell? Is that who I took? I do believe you have Colin Farrell. I didn't take W. Earl Brown? No. You sure about that? <sighs> no, we all we all lost on that one. I think I had W. Earl Brown pegged as the Birdman, and I still yeah. might be right about that. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I do think Frank is going to die. I think, that the, I think that that's kind of where that character is trending. But, I mean, you could say the same thing about Ray. He's cleaned himself up, and he's made his peace with a lot of things. We're going to get there, I think, with Chad. Ryan asked us, on our on our post show recaps page, do you guys think, or what do you guys think is driving Ray's almost obsessive obsessive devotion to Chad? He knows that it's not his kid, and Ray doesn't seem to be the greatest guy. Plus, he and Chad seem to be almost total opposites. Is Chad just a way for Ray to justify his bad behavior and feel human? After he beat up the news reporter, someone he knew to be innocent and not involved in anything nefarious, he immediately went to see Chad. He also beat up the bully's dad for Chad when he hasn't done anything. What's going on here with Ray and Chad? And I mean, is this dangling? Chad that we're talking about is he really just <laughs> it's a hanging Chad. is he really just the kind of guy that is, is the whole point of Chad to show that like Ray's original sin was killing somebody in, in probably defense of Chad for lack of a better word mm-hmm. uh, and now it's not even the right guy I think you know it's an interesting parallel though between this idea of Frank not wanting to you know carry somebody else's sins and Ray is the guy who is like eager to carry someone else's sins in the form of chad and as we're starting to look at frank and and his wife facing the prospect of adoption the the reluctance that frank has to take on somebody that isn't his specific legacy and turning that into his legacy and contrasting that with a guy like ray who is really concerned about legacy but does not seem to give much of a shit about blood i think that's a really interesting parallel between these two characters who have been super linked from the very beginning of this show I think we're in a really interesting spot with these two in terms of the theme of legacy that's been running all throughout this whole series. Yeah, and I mean, say what you will about the writing on this series, and most people have and most people will continue to. That's actually pretty sharp. That's pretty good. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty sharp uh, character parallel. It's not sharp when when Frank and his wife adopt Taylor Kitsch's uh, child. (laughs) yeah when that happens when the adopted baby is paul's baby uh that he doesn't want to raise because you know he doesn't he's not in on that and that whole that falls apart then that's that's not so good that Uh, no that would not be good (laughs) but that's exactly what's gonna happen now (laughs) just because i said it i just yeah 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 you put that into the world i don't believe so i don't believe so i just don't think I don't think Frank has been being genuine with Jordan, his wife. I don't think he's being genuine all about. It. I don't think he's, I don't think he's really that ready for any of these things that he's telling her. That's an interesting read. Why do you think then that he's saying it? Because he knows it'll, it'll make her happy. That's what she. I think he thinks he, that's what she wants to hear. But why? I mean, she's mean? been so. You know, you could tell that she's she's not. She's been very. She's very unhappy and was. To me, almost kind of seemed like even this episode that you know if they did get things worked out right now, she was she was ready to go right. So, and if he just tells her that tells her what she wants to hear, it'll keep her happy for a while. So this is like his community service because he has started committing so many more crimes and he's sinning so badly and putting her in a bad spot as a result of that. He feels his penance, his community service, is to give her what she wants and adopt a kid. Right. Yeah, that's not terrible. I don't know. I, I mean, that's I, not I terrible. Maybe it. it's just because I I can't get out of my mind that that Frank, he truly is a bad guy, and that's 
that's his character and that's the way he's going to stay. But I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe there is some good in, in Frank. No, but it is kind of a, it's a very quick 180. And I think that there's got to be a reason for it. And guilt over what he's currently putting his wife through is, is an easy reason. So I think, yeah, because he seems the way he talked about the adoption, like you said before, just seems so definite. Like that's how he feels about it. I just can't imagine him having such a quick turnaround like that, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, she did tell him it, she definitely can't have kids and that that is not going to happen. And she had three other procedures. So maybe he truly does feel like he should, maybe he really isn't a bad guy. Maybe he's the Turner classic movies kind of guy, uh, watching Lee Marvin movies or whatever. But I don't know. I, I think that I think that we we're not we're not done with that yet. A small small comparison in real life situations is when me and my wife were talking about getting married. She told me that I had to quit smoking, and of uh-huh. course, what did I tell her? Oh yeah, sure, honey, I'll quit smoking. What was years later of many times lying to her, telling her that I quit, when in all reality I was sneaking behind the dumpster at Look work at you, and smoking Jeremiah cigarettes. The yellow king, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, but it wasn't until I was really sincere and ready to do it was right. able to do it. Now, I, I mean, I'm a, obviously this is a much more serious case with Frank's, but I'm just saying I just don't think that that quick of a turnaround to me seemed like more of somebody who was just saying what she wanted to hear. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I hear that, and I think that that's a that's a great personal connection to that idea of saying that you're up for something and not really being up for it yet uh, or maybe yeah. ever potentially. And I, and I think that that's I, I feel a lot of that going on with Frank here. Like, you know, that that scene where he does cozy up next to her and they do have a normal night. He comes home like she says, I think you should come home tonight. Uh, he comes home mm-hmm. and they, they settle, you know, settle up next to each other on the couch and they just are watching movies and then nothing else happens in the scene. And I was like, really? Right. Nothing nothing else is happening. They actually did just get like a normal night in that, <laughs> act, that actually happened for these two. And it doesn't feel like this is the kind of life that Frank can live. Uh, and that was the, that was the biggest eye opening moment for me with this character who does uh-huh. seem to be craving, you know, the legitimate life, uh, or at least has expressed a desire to go legit to, you know, to have that, that California money that the kids aren't even going to know how they got it in the first place, that whole kind of idea. But it felt <laughs> for the first time of just this mundane moment between him and his wife that it's just, that's not his speed it's not going to work out he's not actually ready for what they're talking about the type of domesticity that she really wants that he has claimed to want um i i hear you on that jeremiah i think that there's more to this story with frank and his readiness to actually seal the deal on the adoption thing but that was it was a beautiful moment between the two of them was that oh, sweet it was great it was- he just <laughs> needs to find the right baby maybe like a you know a beautiful biracial paul woodrow baby yeah yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it, 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 I I think that I mean I still do think that Frank will die, and I think that I, I I guess what I'm you know Jeremiah you're talking about whether or not he's being honest with Jordan his wife. Uh, my question is: Is Jordan being fully honest with Frank? There's been a lot of shots of her kind of making her way through. Uh, the background and security cameras and being watched from afar uh, in his club or in the casino or different places like that. She's clearly a sharp person. I don't know. Are, are you guys tracking anything at all that would indicate that she's not on the level or she's hiding something from Frank besides the multiple procedures that she'd had? I am, oh, I am so glad you said that because I didn't want to say anything because I thought maybe I was the only one, but I just feel like there's something there that we don't know about. There's something just not right that she she's hiding something i just don't know what it is yet but dude does to me there seems like there's something there yeah i i kind of think there 
isn't. And I kind of think that, okay. I don't know how you're feeling Jeremiah about Paul, like the Paul storyline is really not doing anything for you. I really, mm-hmm. I've wanted so much more out of the Jordan story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like, you know, that's a character that's been really, um, has not been serviced. Well, that's a character who for me has not clicked at all yet. And maybe, maybe there's going to be some, some curve somewhere here where she's going to be more involved in things that are going on or have some really big puzzle piece that she's sitting on. That's going to play a big role and an active role in the story moving forward. But my fear is that she's kind of just window dressing for the Frank story. Yeah. And, and I think that that is, that is a, and I don't like that. Well, that's, that's, it's kind of, that's interesting. A double barreled fear because, like that, you're right to be afraid of that because it wouldn't be good use of Kelly Riley. Right, but but I know the other side of the equation, which you'll get to in a second. The other side of the equation is that they're gonna they're gonna ham fist Ed her right. way into some horrible kind of scenario where she's the yellow where she's the where yellow she's queen the, she's the yellow queen or she's the bird bird person. Yeah. Uh, and I that while I agree with you, Jeremiah, that there have been these lingering shots on her, and there has been something just not feeling right about mm-hmm. her. Um, I, I, it won't have been earned uh, if it comes out that she's behind this conspiracy. Now, there are still three episodes left. Anything can happen. Maybe Jeremiah, what she was kind of hiding and uncomfortable about was that great secret that she revealed in this episode that she has a past that has put her in a position where let's be mm-hmm. frank. A lot of Frank, a lot of women or a lot of men in Frank's situation might look at her as broken uh, and as not as a useful woman. Mm-hmm. A lot of people look at women like that unfairly. I might add society in general casts incredibly negative aspersions uh, because of gender roles on women who are on, you know, incapable of giving birth for one reason or another. And women are meant to feel like inadequate or incomplete. Like they are, you know, they're not as uh, good as they should be because motherhood is this ultimate role of woman, according to society, not according to me. And that's not fair and so maybe that's a lot of what uh, Kelly Riley, what Jordan is carrying around is this burden of Frank. You want uh, ultimately you Did want you say burden or birdman birdman. You want a lot of birdman. <laughs> you want to you want to build a whole army of birdman. Uh, but I'm unable to give you any Birdman. Uh, so maybe that, I mean, I, I think that that could be something that's there uh, is that she really does feel uh, somehow inadequate or like she is not, she's keeping this huge, horrible secret from Frank because Frank ultimately wants to build the kind of family that forgets where the money came from. And you need the family to do that. And he's very clear that he doesn't want to adopt. So and maybe that's why she's been so cagey and so uh, quiet and so uncomfortable. I mean, I, and I would buy that. I would, accept that i don't yeah. think the show really did a home run job of that i don't blame yeah, kelly riley yeah. for it but uh it, but i would buy that no mm-hmm. i think that that yeah. I, th- I think uh, uh that that storyline the the frank and jordan story just has not been you know perfectly well written for me and nothing's perfect but you know i it's just it, it's not popped for me and i do think i don't think that we're gonna get much more out of her in terms of what she's sitting on, what she knows, anything like that. She might have a big role to play moving forward, but just as of now, it, it never really moved the needle for me, and I've been waiting for it to, and I hope it still does, but as of now, I'm really uh, kind of thumbs down on all that. Yeah, I, and, I, and I am too, and it's a shame because like you, Josh, I was really looking forward to Kelly Riley almost as as a kind of fifth lead. Like, Well, yeah. As, 
somebody mm-hmm. that could bring a lot to the table. And she's certainly been given a lot to do, but in really in just kind of one realm, she's just kind yeah. of the nagging wife who's complaining about everything Frank is doing, whether it's not having a kid or having a kid, whether it's his business or not his business, whatever it is. Right. Um, that's kind of the role that she's been put into. Now she's going to come out at the beginning of next episode and probably shoot Ray right away. Right. So. <laughs> More butt shot. Yeah. So who knows? She is but, the bird woman. All right. Uh, Two quick questions that yeah. are still left on our on our page here that I think are, are fun. Uh, this one, first of all, um, Josh, this one's for you from Coach. Yeah. Coach says, did you see this question? No. Coach says, is it just me or does every episode feel like a season of Lost? The main ah. characters start out the episode on their own until something forces them to come together by the end. Then at the beginning of the next episode, they're on their own again until something happens and forces them to come together by the end. Then at the beginning of the next episode, they're on their own again. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, there's coach been Wade. It is. It is the dragon slayer. Uh, I mean, there certainly is. There's like some weird funky Egyptian shit going on sometimes here on true detective as on lost. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been happening a little bit here and there. We haven't been, uh, Oh, well there has been a focus on eyes in, in this as well. There's been time jumps. Yeah, yeah, there have been time jumps. Uh, there was also that giant wheel that they turned and moved Vinci from one part of California <laughs> yeah. to another. Yeah, and, and then like they needed to like somehow find their way back to the wheel because the wheel was like unhinged, and so they just kept skipping around through different eras of Vinci. Yes, we have to go back to the yeah, investigation. Like, there was like five minutes where they were getting uh, like you know hunted by like the American Indians who were still alive in the in area Vinci, that Vinci yes, was. Yeah. Was in, but then they skip forward in time for by a couple hundred years. They met that old prospector by the by the river. He was very angry at them, and he threw his tooth at him or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. Does this mean the final episode? Everyone will be in a church together. It could be. I mean, I do. I do believe that uh, that next week's episode is actually called Church in Ruins. Oh, really? Is that the temple then, Josh? Yeah, it could be. Wow. Oh my gosh. So I don't know, Coach. I think that's a pretty. That's that's Josh bait. You're Josh baiting. You're baiting me. <laughs> and I guess yeah. the, the final one was from Dave Backer, who always uh, is a great contributor to our shows at postshowrecaps.com. Absolutely. Dave, Dave wanted to know, this season is getting a lot of negative reviews or comments, but what is your favorite part of season two? Belcoro's mustache, which is why I'm out on True Detective. Because <laughs> it's gone. Because <laughs> it's gone. No, I, I think uh, Colin Farrell really doing it for me right now. Jeremiah. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say Colin Farrell. Definitely. I think this last episode, having him uh, beat the living daylights of uh, Pillar was fantastic. Love it. Yeah. I, I love all the scenes that has uh, senseless violence from Ray, whether it's beating <laughs> up a poor father on his porch step or yeah. beating up a doctor, whatever. Just, you know, if it's him in- inducing some, some serious uh, damage, that's what I love. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm a that, big what fan. does that say for us though josh I'm, oh horrible guys, so yeah so I'm, <laughs> I'm on your team i like i like what you guys like uh yeah, you guys really? are cool okay. kids i just like what you guys like no um and i i'm with you jeremiah and and you josh i really do think colin farrell uh, is a spec uh, spectacular highlight of this season it's through against all odds in a lot of instances he's really kind of played his way through a lot of really difficult scenes and a lot of things that i think would have been really campy or really bad. I think that the beatdown of uh, 
Aspen's father was very close to camp, but uh, but the rest of it, I think it's just so sad. He's done a really good job, and this this turnaround after he got shot, his rebirth, if you will, uh, Ravel Coro the Gray, um, I think he's popping back, or is he the White? I think he's popping back up, and I think he's been really, really great, and this week, he was so, so good. I thought Mustard Cannon had a really good um, comment on our site. Mustard Cannon's observation was that, that uh, the, the, their favorite scene was the dream sequence with Ray and the Conway Twitty impersonator and his father. Right. It was really well done. Offered another look at Ray's psyche. Like when the imaginary father still made him nervous, that sort of scene mustard cannon points out was subtle, but a great part in that scene. And I think that that's true. I like when true detective is sort of luxuriated in the weirdness of this season. I think the Conway Twitty scene, uh, even though it is very Lynchian in nature, I appreciate that. I appreciate the sort of lingering, moments at the Chisani mansion or with the Chisani daughter uh, in that kind of weird uh, whatever that was like a like a dispensary or a hookah place like I, I do like the, the sort of stuff that I think is atmosphere for atmosphere's sake I think yep. True Detective does well uh, in those moments I liked for example the, the, the shot of Taylor Kitsch riding that bike in the first episode when he's turning his lights off and ready to kill himself I thought that was fantastic yeah so, and even like all of like the the overhead shots of like the, the, the roads intertwining and the lights and the power grids and all that it, it's grown on me a lot I really actually actually like seeing those little shots uh, littered throughout all of these episodes. I think it's just really nice to, there's a lot of eye candy on. This yeah. Show. The overall aesthetic of this season is really good. And that's not, I mean, I guess it shouldn't come as a surprise because the first season was so strong, but we, we have a very different creative team in play here when it comes to that. We've got different directors uh, throughout the season. Some are directing more than one episode, but last season had only one director. So, uh, good on them, I think. For well, yeah, I think Justin Lin established a great tone with uh, the first two mm-hmm. episodes that he directed. Yep, I think that's right, and I think it's been followed through on um, pretty well from time to time uh, and place to place. And I think they've done a really good job with it. I also think that they've done a really good job of making Vinci just seem like Hill Valley in the alternate 1985 and Back to the Future too, where it's just this really dirty, trashy place. Yeah, this is where this is what can happen if things go unchecked and you let people just do whatever they want. You get toxic waste dump of a town uh, where all these horrible things are happening and at, literally Josh as you point out everyone in it is corrupt as hell so yeah. I think they've done a really good job with almost making Vinci a character uh, in this series and I think that that's been really good too yeah it's yeah, just like this like, it's just like this big dump of a beast that's just like mouth breathing in the middle of California and you don't want to go anywhere near it because if you get too close it's just going to bite your face off uh, and like the, the whole town the whole setting the whole vibe of that place it really feels that way it feels dirty and dangerous mm-hmm. and that really pops off the screen I think that's really great and another thing you know going back to that that scene that that dream sequence that we have back at the start of episode three that's definitely my favorite scene of the season so far as well and not the least of which because of kind of the promise of what's to come uh the whole idea of they shot you to pieces they cut you to pieces that could still be coming down the line i feel like that's very prophetic and uh even if that doesn't transpire literally in terms of colin farrell emerging from the woods and just getting shot to ribbons something is coming down the pike we're moving towards something big and explosive and you know it wasn't you know the six minute tracking shot of season one last week with the big action set piece, but a big action set piece went down and it proved that this season can pull that kind of thing off and make a really pulse pounding tense sequence work. Uh, and I think that that's far and away from the last that we were seeing of a scene like that. And I think that the promise of what's to come in these final three episodes 
is big. And I mean, we've come this far already. I'm more than willing to give it another three weeks. And oh, can we too. can we just assume that uh, if there is a season three of True Detective, is this the template we can expect then for season two that we're midway through the season? You're going to basically have a reboot of the investigation like we've done because, this, you know, obviously we know it happened in the first season and now it's happened again. Can we expect is that is that a template they're going to follow from from here out? I mean, I think it's a fair question. I, I think they would be accused of a little bit of hackery at some point, but mm-hmm. I, it's, it's rather convenient. I think it's a good way to kind of arc your characters out. They, they pursue this one thing and they pursue it in such a certain way that they maybe lose track of a few things or it changes them when it happens. Uh, and then they're being asked either through their own desire or through their own demons or through whatever, or through some action that brings them back into contact with it. They're being asked to revisit the very things that either lionize them or that put them in, in a position where they felt like that's over. That's done. I've changed. You know, a lot of times characters aren't asked to revisit the, the sort of uh, elements that the climax, if you will, that led to their falling action and resolution. We usually don't arc characters out over half seasons and then ask them to go back and loop back over the arc. So maybe Pizzolatto is interested in writing characters that way. I think it does lead to some, uh, certainly season one was fantastic in that regard. I don't know as much about season two because we haven't seen it all play out. I think the real the real key moment in, in Ray's character arc specifically was not the shootout. Uh, it was when he was shot himself, and that's really his turnaround moment. Um, mm-hmm. That's the moment after which we get that dream sequence, and since then, he's really seemed to be on the up and up. So, I don't know. I think that, if anything, that scene really seems to have changed Annie more than anybody because she does not want to let this crime go, and she's really fixated now on solving this thing. Uh, and not that she wasn't before, but she, it's not, it's sticking in her crawl. So she locked hasn't in. really changed. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Locked yeah. Locked right. in. Can we close with something real quick? I, I have what to, to steal from the great Jay and Jack uh, lost podcast. I have a crackpot theory that I thought, when, what the heck I'll throw it out there and see if maybe you guys can help me out. Your homework will be to help me, you know, make this invest, make, make this theory like really maybe be possible. But what if possibly the Birdman killer is Ray's father, Eddie, that he goes on some kind of vigilante crazy thing to try to fix all this crime and corruption. And he is the man behind the Birdman mask. Bring it. What do you think? Well, then he'd be doing a really good job of seeming like physically incapable uh during during oh. his visits with ray you're gonna shoot it down with the physical aspects how do we not know if that guy doesn't work out he might be a great actor he might be a great actor. <laughs> he used to be a cop right come that's on true. no that's true <laughs> I feel like what do you I, think antonio you like have any like crackpot that. theories my friend uh i mean i let, you like I, this one I, I think that anything in this show shouldn't qualify as crackpot i think the doors that's open true just about that's anything true. and i think the crock question pot? is go ahead give it give it to me josh Crockpot? Crockpot theory, yeah. So that's what's going to happen. Is, is uh, Too soon, by the way. Uh, too soon. <laughs> too Why? Soon. What happened to the crockpot? Uh, <laughs> if I say it, then it's going to be... You forgot to turn it it's on. going to bring this no, podcast to a screeching halt. Oh, but we're supposed to eat crockpot after this. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been in upstate you. California without food for weeks, and you don't even have the crockpot ready. I forgot to, oh. I forgot to pluck it in. Uh, How dare it's you? It's just a bunch of cold meatballs and sauce. 
All right. Oh no! I'll, it's eat, the worst. I'll, eat, it. I'll eat it anyway. You will. <laughs> You'll love it. <laughs> now, I, I I think that my struggle with this show and where where I I still have not come down season two negative or positive. It's a little crazy. There's a lot going on. Uh, there are definitely some significant negatives about the season, mostly uh, with the dialogue, in my opinion, and the way the show is written in that regard. But. Uh, there are a lot of kind of loose ends out there and the show could do a really good job narratively of tying them all up in a way that I accept and in a way that I think is rewarding. And I think the show will be a success in season two if that's what happens. I think a lot of people are, are kind of close to that. Uh, I think we've, we had a couple comments on our page. Um, that that Ian Scott Alexander said season two has been getting more interesting for him and he's still on board and wants to see it through to the conclusion. I think mm-hmm. people that are tracking those sort of things that are being put in front of them hopefully won't be disappointed by this season of True Detective. But that said, everything we've seen so far this season, I really do feel like leaves the door open for just about anything to happen, some of which would be really terrible uh, and wouldn't be well earned and would be really hacky and bad. And I just hope that's not what we're going to get. All right, I think that's going to do it. Yeah, we got I think any, that's it. Any, anything else to hit, or are we, we we're feeling good, feeling good about episode five. I think I think I'm feeling good, but I, but what if I wanted to hit you up on Twitter, Josh? How would I do that? You would hit me up on Twitter by typing in uh, at Round Howard, like Howard Goldstein, my friend's father, but rounder. But rounder. <laughs> and and uh, Jeremiah, how about you? How would I hit you? Do I have to go to twitter.com first, Josh? I would recommend it. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Jeremiah, what about you? Uh, I am at J Panhorse on the Twitter machine. That's uh, J P A N H O R S T. And I'm at AC Mazzaro. That's two Z's, one R. We certainly appreciate you listening. Give us your thoughts and feedback. Do we have a hashtag that people can tweet at us? Nerf Detective. You like Nerf Detective? <laughs> I like too many crooks. <laughs> too many, too many crooks. We had a lot. What do we? What was the BBHO? The Baboth. The, the Baboth. <laughs> I don't know. We got to settle on one. What do we have? Hashtag BBOTH. Both. <laughs> People are going to think that's a Big Brother thing. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Well, that's too many true. crooks. How about hashtag too many crooks? Too many works, crooks works for me. You're the boss. I like it. Yeah. So if you've got uh, any thoughts you want to tweet at us, tweet us at using the hashtag at too many crooks. Let us know you listen to the end. You can also always comment on our show page at postshowrecaps.com, uh, and that's the show episode page for this particular episode. We really appreciate everybody's comments. Listen, if we're all going to watch this show, it's nice to watch it together, right? No. Uh, All right. when you forget to plug in the crock pot. And on, on that note, I have a crock pot to plug in and a lie to tell to Josh Wiggler. So we'll talk to you guys later. Thank you very much. 